Welcome to Future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, and together we'll explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Future of XYZ is presented in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. It's an exciting episode at the very beginning of Hip Hop uh, History Month, as well as which marks the 50th anniversary of hip hop. Um, and the reason we're going to be talking about hip hop, even though we're talking about the future of public health equity, is because our guest today is Lori Rose Benson, who is the CEO of Hip Hop Public Health. Um, and I really, really am so happy, Lori, that you're here with us today. Lisa, it is such a pleasure to be here with you today. Super excited. Um, well, thanks for that. And I, I mean, we're going to dive in as we always do on Future of XYZ with de- let's let's kind of define roughly the topic at hand. So in this case, I'd love you to explain to our listeners and viewers what is, in fact, public health equity. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of terms that are thrown out all over the place. You know, we hear a lot about uh, equity. We hear a lot about equality. You know, we share a lot about health literacy, health equity. And I think it's important to differentiate between equality and equity. And so, for example, uh, equality might be uh, everyone in a particular community gets a uh, special voucher to purchase healthy foods in their local grocery store to maybe help increase, you know, fruit and vegetable consumption. Let's say that. But if you're in a neighborhood where you are in a food desert, you know, the absence of places that have healthy food or maybe a food swamp, there's tons of fast food. You know, we like to use that that reference a lot lately. Um, having that voucher is not going to have that same equitable experience versus someone who's in the neighborhood who does. So if you are in a neighborhood where there are no wonderful supermarkets and you're, you know, surrounded by the more bodegas and fast food environments, that voucher is not going to help you, right? So equity mm-hmm. is where that would be adjusted so that those in neighborhoods would have better access to healthy foods and not just a one size fits all. And then I guess we could say what justice would be, justice would be fixing the underlying systems so that we wouldn't have the food deserts or the food swamps to begin with. So when we talk about public health equity, and that's really the vision of the organization that I have the honor of leading, we, we're on, uh, our vision is to achieve universal health literacy, that people are able to access information and know what to do with that information when it comes to taking care of themselves and those that they love, and then also equity so that there is that not just level playing field, but there are the adjustments so that everyone has a just, fair, and access to all, whether it's whether it's health education, health access, um, and being able to um, be supported within the communities that they live, work, play, pray, and and go to school. It's remarkable because that's a uh, quite a task, especially in a country that is as fragmented in many ways and dysfunctional in others as the United States is, especially today. 
um, but the fragmentation of mar historically marginalized communities who live in urban areas is is largely what we're talking about. I mean, yes, it's it's rural it's rural populations versus suburban, and it but but who hip hop public health serves specifically are these historically marginalized communities in the let's call it the inner city just for listeners and viewers, you know, uh, understanding you probably have a much better word than that. Um, but I mean, I, I want to give you a chance to just share briefly what hip hop public health does um, and who you're serving, um, because the reason it's called hip hop health, too, is it's is fascinating. Yeah, well, thank you, Lisa. I mean, it, it is literally hip hop and public health, right? It is. It was started in New York City, it was born in Harlem, New York City, uh, almost two decades ago. And it was a vision of our founder, Dr. Elijah Day Williams. He's a brilliant neurologist, behavior change expert, health disparities expert, who was seeing huge inequities in the hospitals that he was working in. He was working in one hospital where there was huge uh levels of treatment. He was a stroke expert. So people were at Columbia University. At Columbia, yep. At New York Presbyterian Hospital at Columbia University Medical Center. People were coming in. They had a new clot busting treatment. Um, and people were accessing that. And then 25 blocks away at Harlem Hospital, he was charged to create stroke center there. And they had this beautiful state-of-the-art center and people were not coming in. Mm -hmm. And there was a huge disconnect in terms of understanding what the signs and symptoms of a stroke were, and also that this is a very time-dependent disease. So if you can get to the hospital within three or so hours, huge chance that A, you're going to live, B, you will not be paralyzed or have other debilitating conditions, and like literally walk out of the hospital in a day or two. And so huge disparities. He said, well, what, what's going on in this part of the community around Harlem Hospital, which is like central, central Harlem? And he said, well, what if we can teach young people? What if we could teach the young people of these 20 to 50-year-olds who were working multiple jobs, who sometimes were single parents? What sometimes if we don't have English as a first language or not the same education level or papers or all the things that intimidate? Right, right, absolutely. Well, what if we can teach young people the signs and symptoms of a stroke? So, A, they could be the conduits of health communication in their families, but B, they actually could intervene and they'd have the agency to know to pick up the phone and dial 911. Mm. Then he was like, Well, why would kids even want to learn this? <laughs> and uh, what about, you know, thinking about what could be attractive? You know, I, I personally come from not the medical world, but more of the education world and the public health side of that um, and looking at health education and physical education. And, you know, those of us in that field know that culturally relevant, exciting, innovative health and in, uh, curriculum is like game changing. It's, it's game changing and there's not a lot of it out there. Yeah. And especially in communities, you, you want to have that connection that you can see yourself that it, it's families that look like the families that we're trying to serve and sound like the families that, that we're trying to serve. And, and that there's a huge cultural disconnect. And so by looking at music, 
I'm looking at the culture of hip hop, you know, kind of, you know, one of the meccas in New York City. And we know hip hop started in the Bronx. <laughs> Absolutely. In Harlem, right over the bridge to Harlem. Let's, you know, reach out to one of the guardians of hip hop. So our founder connected with Dougie Fresh, who for those listeners that may not be hip hop adjacent, um, Dougie Fresh is one of the guardians of the genre. He invented beatboxing. Absolutely. And he is just a, a beautiful soul. Um, and they got together and ultimately created Hip Hop Stroke. And this program used the power of music, the things that we may know um, innately, but from a scientific point of view, there's more real estate in our brain for music than language itself. So if we're telling someone something, it's not going to be remembered. Uh, it's not going to be recalled in the same way as if you learn it through music. Wow. And then you learn it through music that you actually like. And it connects to the culture and your identity. And there's an emotive connection. Chances are it's going to augment learning even more. It's going to deepen memories and, and enhance recall. So we know that like advertisers and marketers have been doing this for, for decades. So like to get us a jingle. We don't need to do, yep, and buy the things you don't need to buy, get stuck in your head. And then your 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 kid is like pestering you in the supermarket because they want these sugar, blah, 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 cereal. Um, why don't we use it more for public health? And that was really the original hypothesis. It was wildly successful. It was supported through multiple rounds of NIH funding to test the Institute of Health. Yep, and the efficacy of the work. And then over time, started to apply this model that was formed to other areas of health behavior change and health literacy. So long, long, long story short, hip-hop public health creates evidence-based educational resources that really support young people and their families in communities that are underserved by harnessing the power of arts. For us, art is mostly music, sometimes dance, culture, the culture of hip hop and then science. So science of uh, behavior change and what works from a sticky message and attention grabbing, but also that the science is using an evidence-based approach to this work. So I don't want to get like too wonky in the weeds, um, but I'd love you to, but we always only have 20 minutes on the show and it's like, it's not enough time to learn everything that there is about the interesting work that our guests are doing. Well, and, and the one thing that I would just add is that really? we've done over the years, if we've created over 200 resources, everything that we create is available for free. So we're talking music, animated videos, live action videos, comic books, and then wrap around lesson plans for educators. And when we say educators, it could be anyone in any type of educational setting. So in a school setting, a library, a museum, a faith-based setting, and we want to take down that barrier to access those structural barriers in terms of access to really quality, high standards materials by by working really hard um, at fundraising, like we just did at Mixing Public Health Gala. Thank you to everyone who came out and supported, um, and also working in collaboration with lots of organizations to really build that capacity and spread and scale the resources around the country and even around the globe. It's remarkable, actually. I mean, you mentioned, you know, your background is in physical education. You went to Delphi University, which is, you know, you studied health studies and exercise science. You are an adjunct professor in that same department now. 
you're also a candidate for your PhD is in, in public health at the Bloomberg School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins University. I mean, you spent 20 years in the Department of Education in New York City working on these issues before you went and led, you know, Healthy Lifestyles, I think it was called, at the country's largest YMCA in New York City. I mean, you you know this topic, Lori, inside and out. And I think what's so fascinating to me as I listen to you talk about what hip hop public health specifically is doing is in fact this bridging of culture and recognizing that that culture, culture building that cultural bridge can actually, as you say, drive equity in health outcomes. And some of the challenges that these these communities, you know, face are, as you mentioned, food deserts, so nutrition, but not just the fact that there's not access, but also knowledge. There is the language barrier that I referred to. There's obviously money. There is federal and local funding and fighting. And there, there's so many and there's violence and there's homelessness and there are drugs and there are intractable health issues that come out of some of these things. I mean, how how as you go for the younger generation is the goal as we look towards the future of public health equity you all specifically are targeting the youth and your whole background is on education and youth. Yeah. How, how do you see that as like moving the needle on the future? I love that you're saying moving the needle. That's actually one of our initiatives, moving the needle one conversation at a time on health and healing. Um, I actually started an organization called moving the needle. We'll talk about that another time. But so. now, absolutely. You know, um, I, I imagine your listeners probably know this, this really dire statistic that this current generation may be the first generation that does not outlive the age of their parents, right? It's, it's dire and it's solemn. And that stat was out there before the pandemic. Right. And, and not like, uh, well, pandemic's not really over, over, but like, right. Uh, it's a we have we have this you know global national pandemic. We have a, a national reckoning um, on racism that is not fully reckoned, not in any way, and is shown the spotlight right on deep, vast, and structural issues and the issues that you're talking about, like where people are living and the conditions and education and healthcare and economics. I mean. These are the things, right? Not right now. Your zip code is the number one predictor of your life expectancy. That's crazy. And when you look at places like even in New York City, there are some zip codes that are again twenty blocks away, and there could be a ten-year difference in life expectancy. And so, one of the things that um, I'd love to share two quotes that our founders, and you know, it's I'm so fortunate to be working with such dedicated people who are always looking to move the needle further and further and further. You know, Dr. Williams always says, it's a lot easier to build up a child than to repair an adult. And that's why for us, young people are at the center of all that we do, first, first and foremost. Um, the other thing is they can be incredible messengers. They can be incredible influencers within their families. And many times in the communities that we're talking about, we're talking about multi-generational households. Yeah. So it's not just the ability to impact on a mom or dad or caregiver. There could be aunts, uncle, grandma, 
copy, you know, so many other um, permutations there. So that's really important. And what Dougie likes to say is if everybody does a little, nobody has to do a lot. And so the more that we can build an ecosystem of folks that have the agency, that have the right information, that feel empowered, you know, this is a really, really, really challenging time. Um, you know, so many folks are living under toxic stress conditions, right? There's Especially in these marginalized communities, yeah. my, money, money and access are, are being kind of, you know, that, I mean, inflation is obviously a huge challenge. Access is a huge challenge. And that, that mental health burden uh, is, is that much greater. And it's not like people, I mean, I think your average person on the street, do they know that water is a good choice for the beverage of choice? Absolutely. Do they know that fruits and vegetables are really good for them? Absolutely. You know, but it's not always so simple. And then when you layer over the constant toxic stress and then issues of access and issues of proximity and, and all of that, it's, it's really tough. It's really tough on any area of health behavior change. So working with young people is really important. It builds that foundation. We start early. We build those habits. Habits take time. And in a way where there becomes fluency, right? There's there's fluency, health fluency, in order to make choices, make better decisions when they have the power to make those decisions. It's amazing because you you use where the words that you're using, it's really about like literacy is about reading, right? I mean, literacy is about comprehension and, 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 you know, being able to navigate that, but you're like, it's literacy and then it's fluency and that can lead to more equity. Obviously equity requires systemic changes as well, not just behavioral changes and education. But this is fascinating. I mean, the argument that as as uh, you're making on behalf, I think, of your organization, but, you know, how do we get to the future of public health equity? These are major levers. Yeah. You know, I, I would also say that, you know, someone could have a certain level of reading comprehension, but the way the information is shared could be so confusing. And sometimes it's done purposefully, purposefully right? There could be some disinformation or we're, we're just not going to make it easy for people. Um, even something as simple as like calorie labeling, like that is very, very confusing. Added sugars. Very confusing. Uh, that's like one of our resources, Lisa. <laughs> we have little sugar. Little sugar is the master of disguise because there's 150 names for sugar. Why does there need to be 150 names for sugar? Right. And incorporate food to to ask that is a whole other it's a whole other obsession that we, we need to have, right? Um and so how do we help young people understand we're not gonna say no sugar, I'm not gonna say never have to, but like understand what is in the foods that you eat, the things that you're drinking, and then to have that knowledge to make choices when they have the power to make choices. You, you, we're, we're so, we have so many more things that I, we, we, we want to discuss and we have so, so very little time, but I want to talk about, you come back to like how the founder, right? Um, Dr. Williams was working at these two hospitals in Harlem when this all happened and talking about, you have a state-of-the-art facility where people understand what they can access there and you have a state-of-the-art facility. So that wasn't the issue. The issue was something else. 
right? And the communities with which hip hop health is working and in order to get to equity is trying to bridge that gap. So again, using hip hop as the mnemonic really to, to, to do that. What are some of the, you know, as we think about in a, in a very, very challenging world environment right now, especially in America, which is what we're really focused on in the, this conversation, because of course, what public health equity looks like for refugees or, you know, migrant laborers or, you know, marginalized groups in other places in the world is very different, right? Although I would argue, and you probably would too, that it still has to do with literacy and fluency and access ultimately, right? I mean, that's that seems universal to me. But coming back to hip hop, since it is hip hop, you know, history month and the 50th anniversary, as you think about the next 50 years, you know, how does health and healing happen in these communities? And, 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 and how does that kind of mirror mimic what's happening in the hip hop community more broadly? Yeah. Um, Lisa, if I could share a story of one of our incredible artist advisory board members, um, Daryl DMC McDaniels, DMC from Run DMC, right? Who is also one of the guardians of the genre. When, when D talks about the origins of hip hop and he was, a, he was a kid in the Bronx. He was an elementary school kid and I'm sorry, he would be so upset that I said that in Hollis, Queens, um, DMC. <laughs> so he's in Hollis, Queens, right? Um, and he was hearing the sound coming over the bridge, through the trains, to, to um, Queens. And what he talks about, which I never really thought about it as someone who grew up in New York City, grew up in Brooklyn, always loved hip hop. Um, it was teenagers. It was teenagers that came together 50 years ago when the Bronx was burning to support the community through communication, through equity, and through social justice. They were talking about and really crying out from the streets of what the living conditions were. They were talking about what public health folks talk about all the time now as the social determinants of health before we were talking about it. They were talking about where you work, live, and and play and pray and you know like the song the message don't push me because um close to the edge right that was about the brink the break of the trauma and the violence and the inequities and so when you think about the origins and we really connect deeply with those that that are the guardians of the genre it was all about health equity it was all about social justice and then DMC shared a story that in the in the late 80s, when he was on tour with Chuck D, who's also one of our incredible artist advisory board members, and they're they're backstage, they're on tour, they're like, man, I can't believe like we're out here, we're doing things. They just assigned signed with Adidas. They had their first sneaker apparel deal, right? And what Chuck said to them, and and I'm gonna paraphrase, was like, you're missing the point. And he was the elder, I think he was like in his 2023 exactly they were they were all so young he was like you all have the microphone you have the power of the microphone and people are listening to you. you're filling up stadiums what are you gonna do with this mm. so for us being able to connect deeply to those roots and with this year being the 50th anniversary of it yes let's celebrate that and What's the next 50? And so for us, the next 50 has to have health and healing as a component of it. You know, there's five elements of 
hip hop. I mean, there's a lot of different folks that will say there's one or two here differences, but the main elements are the DJ, the MC, the break dancers, the graffiti artists, and Dougie Fresh would say he's the fifth element, the beatboxer. And so what we at Hip Hop Public Health have been centering is the sixth element of hip hop for the next 50, which is health and healing, which is about checking up on each other and checking in for yourself. So many things can just be mitigated with a checkup, with that annual doctor's visit, with that annual dentist visit. Ask you, cite my doctor, are you okay? Right, the I, right? And so, and it's difficult, but how do we help one another? And there's been so many unfortunate and untimely passings in the hip hop community. Many people, mostly men in their fifties and sixties, way too short, way too short of a lifetime. And some of this could be preventable. And some of it is about information. And so we are so pleased to partner with the community to really look forward to the next 50 building up our young people, getting the elders, the guardians to really use their voice. And they are trusted messengers. I think one thing that we've seen through COVID, you know, just telling people about a vaccine, just telling people about hand washing or mask wearing, it just doesn't work. Not enough. It's, it's the message and the right evidence-based messages, but it's the medium, how it is presented, and it's the messenger. And does it feel authentic to the community who's receiving right. it? Does it feel like it's for them? Right. So, so DMC is not the vaccine expert, but I'll tell you, when it came to doing our vaccine literacy resources, he said, okay, I'm down. I will help you with this. And it, it helped grab attention, but also you'd never think about creating music, like multi-platinum sounding amazing music, about a vaccine, but music also can soften a tough message. Music can also capture attention in a way that doesn't sound like judgmental. And, and that's not where we're coming from. So, you know, um, there's so much to do for this next 50. And I think the other thing is like, for those out there listening, let's, let's connect, let's synergize efforts. We cannot do this alone. Like if everybody does a little, no one has to do a lot and everyone has their various superpowers. Our lane is creating work primarily for young people to collaborate through their families um, and also in that space of health literacy, health fluency. But there's so many other pieces that we need to connect to. So we love to collaborate. We love to lift up others' work. Um, and it's just so important to just move everybody forward just a little bit, little bit, little bit. I, I love that. That is how we will talk about the future of public health equity. Uh, Lori Rose Benson, CEO of Hip Hop Public Health, thank you so much for joining us on Future of XYZ today. I didn't even need to ask my last question because you jumped from 5, 10, and 20 years into <laughs> which I love. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And for anyone out there, please visit our website. It's hhph.org. You could download resources, share them with your families, schools, community organizations, and check out the brand new Health MC Ambassador Program, which has a whole series of wraparound uh, resources that just launched November 1st, this Hip Hop History Month. I love that. And congrats on your gala. 
For everyone watching and listening, if you don't already know to follow us on Instagram, please make sure you do at Future of XYZ. Also, if you're watching, you can listen anywhere you get your favorite podcast. And if you're listening, you can also watch us at ripbs.org forward slash XYZ through our presenting partner, Rhode Island PBS. Uh, Lori, thank you again. This is a great conversation. We look forward to seeing everyone again very soon. Thank you so much for highlighting this really important and timely topic. It's a pleasure.